All right, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I do apologize for being a bit late. It's been one, I guess it's been one of those weeks, tech issues, one after the other after the other. Today, we're having some issues here uh, with the stream, the video feed, actually, uh, from our guests here today, which we'll introduce in a moment. Uh, but uh, we also have the issue of the websites being down. Now, redice.tv is currently back up and running. Uh, we are still investigating why redicememembers.com is down. I do apologize for that. I do apologize for any inconvenience, especially to our members out there. So uh, uh, thank you for your patience uh, while we keep investigating, kind of figure out what it was. We thought it was a cert certificate issue first. I, I don't suspect any uh, malicious, uh, you know, kind of attacks or intents or something like that. Uh, but we're still looking. It's it's a bit uh, it's a bit strange, a bit unclear actually at this point. Uh, but anyway, redice.tv is up. I did not, um, uh, and I just saw that right before we went live here uh, because we have someone working on it, uh, and uh, I I didn't have time to post there, uh, so you can't actually watch it through Redice TV right now. This this live stream, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, some progress, but still not um, good enough. So we'll investigate that, and we hope redicememembers.com to be up here uh, hopefully as soon as possible. But yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Henrik here, of course, Red Ice TV. We're doing an interview today. We're going to talk about the situation in the Netherlands. And I want to kind of expand our, our conversation a bit too, broader to kind of talk a bit about what's happening in Europe overall. It's my take on this is that it's kind of been a little bit of, uh, I guess, the empire strikes back. You know, we've had, of course, with Trump and all that stuff. And, and uh, there were some candidates in, in many European countries that were doing well. There's some still that are doing well, actually. But we haven't kind of seen the breakthrough, what we've seen what the targeting of Salvini in in Italy? They've threatened him with with jail. There's other issues going on there. Uh, we've had uh, Le Pen that we thought would do better. Now she might still be in a good spot. We'll see what happens, you know, next election there. But the demographic window is closing at the same time. Um, in Sweden, same thing there. You, you you expect the Sweden Democrats would do better, uh, but then they haven't. They were like been perpetual number three for what the last two elections or something like that. So some things you got to give, right? So we're going to talk about that uh, and some other stuff, too, uh, with our uh, guest here today. And so we had him on video for a little bit, but unfortunately, we just had to go over to uh, to a still uh, because the video wasn't cooperating and it wasn't uh, very flattering when it's uh, glitching and uh, pausing at certain places. But anyway, uh, Faust, uh, who uh, previously was with Eric Imbran, which we've done streams with, is uh, with us today. How's it going, Faust? Thank you very much. I think the last time we did a stream together was also about the Dutch elections in 2017. How long ago? That's crazy, huh? Yeah, yeah. I know, right? We're in this and, uh, hamster wheel. Saying, Same thing. We were excited back then. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? It was, uh, um, who, who's the Zionist uh, candidate again? Wilders. <laughs> Wilders, <laughs> that's right. right <laughs> Gert, Gert Wilders, that's right. Uh, I mean, it, it's, there, there's some positive aspect there and some more that I'd be critical of, but uh, regardless, give us an overview. What, what's, what's happening in the Netherlands right now? We, we'll dive into the result of the latest election that happened, what, about two, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago now? Yeah, two weeks ago. The 17th of March were the elections. Right. Well, what's been happening over here, the elections actually weren't greatly interesting. Uh, mostly we saw sort of very little shifted, but mostly things fragmented between more parties. Uh, the more interesting thing has been about lockdowns. There's been a lot of violent demonstrations about lockdowns. In January, we saw the largest riots in 30 years about the lockdowns in the Netherlands. That's right. Um, we had a terror attack from the left against the church where they blew up the front door of the church because of uh, COVID. The media had been inciting people against this church because they weren't obeying lockdown regulations. And so some leftists blew uh, the front of the church. Um, and there's also a big scandal in the cabinet because the um, 
the current they're currently forming a new government coalition because this is the Netherlands we have so many political parties all governments are always coalitions um, and while it was leaked that the uh, sitting uh, government parties wanted uh, one of the more difficult members of parliament to be removed from parliament because he had caused the cabinet to fall at the beginning of the year over scandals with um, benefit fraud and so on, which apparently the government had been um, really incompetently dealing with. Uh, so that's big in the news right now. And uh, but generally, everything's been dominated by uh, lockdown stuff, really. Uh, that's right. I remember seeing some footage from that now. Uh, I'm just checking that the stream is, is up. Some people on DLive said it's uh, freezing and some says fine now. Good now. OK, uh, I don't think that's on my end. I think that's DLive. Anyway, um, yeah, I remember seeing some and it was like some brutal uh, ways that the uh, the state used uh, water cannons and stuff like that. And some people were really yep. uh, smashed up by that. Right. Uh, the last few weekends, uh, over the few over the last few months, almost every weekend, there's a violent demonstration in Amsterdam, usually in front of the museum plane, um, and it tends to end with the police beating up lots and lots of people. You know, water cannons, um, riot police, cavalry charges. I think uh, they beat something like a hundred people into hospital every weekend now. Jesus. Um, what do you feel about it all? I think I heard you on um, Thomas uh, Baden Reese, one of his streams, and I think you were pretty much on. It sounded like we're more or less on the same page that this is uh, basically a, a, a gay op in terms of the overreach of of how the uh, various governments around the world have been using this. That's what I'm seeing at this point. But what do you feel uh, on the ground in in the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah, I think very much that uh, this is definitely a way to gain more control, centralized power, and centralize the economy, particularly. Yes, yes. Um, I, on the whole, don't really get into the weeds too much with all this virus and lockdown and vaccination, whatever. I don't really care about all that too much. It's just, you know, those are all details. The greater problem is that the lockdowns are here, that the whole corona thing is being used as a way to centralize power. And that's what the discussion needs to be about, really, rather than whether the vaccines are good or bad or whether they'll work or not. That's all fringe. It's, that's not interesting. Part of me feels that it does tie into the, and let me know if uh, Faust is a bit low, by the way, I can turn you up here a little bit, but um, part of it, I feel, is that it kind of dovetails a little bit with the nationalist issue as well, because uh, at least in some other countries, I've seen a lot of, you know, whatever country we're talking about, if there's a demonstration in Denmark, you, the Danish flags are out. In Sweden, we've seen the same thing. It's kind of a, almost a, a little bit of a, an overall awakening process, I think a lot of people have gone through, and there seems to be some association, at least, in the lockdown protest with nationalist sentiments. Have you seen anything like that in the Netherlands? Um, to an extent, but there's also quite a lot of sort of uh, new age and hippie and sort yeah, of lefty you get, types. You get some of that. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. On the political side, of course, the elections recently proved that the lockdowns are not a big, uh, big enough issue for people to change their mind very much. That's one thing. And uh, the only parties who oppose the lockdown are the ones on the right wing here. So you could definitely categorize it as a sort of a nationalist right wing issue on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Um, yeah. So we've been following that in many other countries and stuff like that. I, I think it's overall it's it's I guess it's a net positive at the end to see the overreach by the state and get people questioning uh, whether wherever they fall on the political spectrum. Uh, to be honest, I think we're in a situation where we have a, a hostile elite and it seeks to do various things with us, not least uh, just replace us. But uh, 
take control. And I think that this is another mechanism too. The economy, as you said, is being massively hit. You get centralization of power. The richer have gotten richer and the, uh, those at the very top uh, upper echelons of society have managed to ca uh, you know, capitalize on the situation uh, to their advantage, obviously. But anyway, let's switch over to the, uh, to the election then. R same old story. R Rutte is back, uh, well, not yeah. back in power. He continues in power, rather. Yes, over the last 10 years, uh, the VVD has been uh, the only power player in Dutch politics, basically, because they're the only party that has managed to maintain a somewhat big uh, supporter base. So in the Netherlands, we have 17 parties in parliament currently with 150 seats. Um, the VVD actually isn't on the whole that big, historically speaking. They only have 34 seats, which is about 26, 27 percent of the vote. Um, and back in the 90s, there would be three or four parties with that amount of seats. These days, though, as you can see on the map, I think there are, um, most parties hover somewhere between five and 15 seats with only a few uh, closer to 20. And um, this has meant that, you know, the fragmentation of the political spectrum has meant it's quite hard to form a good, uh, a good ruling government which is why we see more and more centralization from uh, from the uh, cabinet away from the parliament. Parliament increasingly is losing its controlling function simply because that if any dissent happens between the coalition, the government can fall at any moment and they try to prevent that as hard as they can. Um, the new story mainly is of fragmentation, as I say. We get several new parties here, mostly representing specific interests. So you've got a farmers party specifically advocating for the interests of farmers and their economic interests mainly. And these are mostly against environmental regulations and so on. Then we got Bayein, which is the, the black interest party essentially. And we already had a Turkish nation, nationalist party, DENK, which uh, has maintained its support base. They, their vote share correlates almost one-to-one -one with the amount of Turkish people in the Netherlands, funnily <laughs> enough. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but DENK is sort of the Muslim interest party. Yeah. And Bayein is the sort of progressive blacks interest party. Um, so those are, are there. Then we have a splintering of the populist vote. You know, 10 years ago, Wilders was the only populist voice and he got around 20 seats. He got 17 seats this election, losing some ground, but that's mostly made up for by the growth of Forum for Democracy and uh, Ja 21. Uh, these two uh, parties could be put on the populist right in the whole as well. Um, Forum for Democracy maybe more to the right on some issues than the PVV. Uh, yeah, in a 20, much more classically liberal. If Sargon of Akkad were to start a political party in the Netherlands, it would be yeah, in a 20, <laughs> essentially. All right, gotcha. That should place um, it on the map for people, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a, a cultural reference everyone who lives on the internet knows. Yeah, um, yeah unfortunately. And Volt also got into parliament with four seats. Now, Volt is... Um, I don't know if any of your listeners know, American listeners probably won't know, but Volt is the first pro-European EU political party that takes part in multiple countries. They try, they want to have representatives of political part of, of Volt in every parliament in, in the EU. Uh, and they are virulent, very virulently pro-EU and they are backed by a lot of money from uh, vested interests like the mega corporations, lobbyists and uh, so on. Um, so that's a big story on the left is the these guys come into parliament and D66, which is sort of the 
somewhat woke but mostly neoliberal party um very progressive on things like environment and, and racism and sexism and so on uh, a lot of the classical left vote has shifted to them away from the socialist party and the labor party uh, the labor party is almost dead um and most of the vote and the greens have been halved in the last election which you think is a good thing but now actually a lot of their voters shifted towards this even more neoliberal pro-EU party, but it's just as woke as most Green parties are. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the story is basically the populist right grows a little bit, but fragments over three parties instead of being more stronger under wielders. And on the left, we see the death of the old uh, sort of class-focused, economics-focused left wing, the Socialists, Labour Party, the Greens shifting towards this more globalist, more woke sort of party. That's a big story in this election, essentially. Yeah. And the anti-lockdown vote uh, was basically Form for Democracy. These were the biggest anti-lockdown voice uh, during this election campaign. And they got only eight seats, which shows that actually a vast majority of people don't uh, care enough about the lockdowns to change their vote. I, don't, I think a lot of people still have this perception that, well, it's going to go away, so we we won't kind of betray our political parties in order to favor this one, you know, kind of a one party vote, one party issue, basically. I think, but we'll see what happens if it continues, which 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 is kind of my prediction. And this could obviously turn out to be, be wrong, but I don't think the state will let go of these kinds of things. I think we'll get new strains, we'll new get get new excuses essentially, and then this will morph into other things. Uh, they've already started talking about, for example, climate lockdowns, right? Uh, we got to get you know lockdowns to to ensure that uh, our environment is safe that we're all not going to die in uh, 11 years or whatever it is now, uh, and then that might even morph into some kind of social justice lockdown in order to stop white supremacy. We have to <laughs> we have to lock down the, our nations. We'll see what happens, right? But uh, yeah, that's interesting though. That means it's um, it's a, the issue that's dominated obviously 2020. Uh, you know the lockdowns, the coronavirus, and all that stuff. Everything has been you know horribly um, horribly just shifted in that regard uh but we'll see if it if it if it does indeed go away uh you know we'll see if things change politically otherwise i would assume things actually does change politically uh because people are going to be I so sick of it you know i think they'll implement these things the way they always do it'll be two steps forward one step back yeah and then you know you you feel relieved that the lockdowns are over or whatever at the same time there's a lot of constitutional rights and so on and freedoms that have been lost. A lot of like, small businesses have been destroyed. And that's change that's permanent. And that's change that you don't notice as quickly or as fast. One of the things, for example, here is that the, the Constitution has essentially been suspended over the last four months or so with mm -hmm. uh, what they call an emergency powers bill, which has to be renewed every two months, I think. But they've been renewing it every two months. And it essentially uh, suspends freedom of assembly. It allows for a uh, um, a curfew, which under the constitution normally is not allowed. Uh, and it gives the police emergency powers, which is why the police has been able to handle things so brutally. For yeah, because the reason they beat people up at those protests, the always the given reason is um, too many people, coronavirus risk, and then they just start beating people if they refuse to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So they have uh, an emergency bill to kind of get away with that. And then they continue to just, I mean, did you guys have two the same, uh, was it three weeks to flatten the curve? That, that's how all this begun, basically. Yeah. And, and and look at it now, right? A year later, here we are, and it's just not going away. 
Um, so I would assume that this emergency bill kind of is extended or continued or something like that. But it's also amazing to see. But again, I think that if we just for a moment, we'll talk more about that later to you know, kind of compare America and, and Europe and things like that. But um, it's pretty amazing to see that there's definitely been much more protest overall in, uh, in, in European countries, uh, I think, so far uh, oh, yeah. than we've seen in an organized manner anyway in, in America. Uh, since more kind of shattered and, and it takes a d different kind of t form there in terms of the protests and stuff like that. But um, it's amazing to me how quick people were just willing to give up their, well, their rights, right? And and as you said, freedom of assembly out the window. And as far as I know, none of our constitutions or whether you have a foundation or law, or whatever you have, some kind of document that kind of uh, grants, you know, rights to citizens and so forth. None of it says anything about some kind of medical emergency that, oh, there's one, this caveat that if if, if there's yeah. enough uh, bad of the disease, then all of this can be thrown out the window. And people have well, largely have gone, gone along with this. There was a court case on this, actually, that was won by the anti-lockdown uh, group called Virus Wahnsinn, which uh, actually banned, the, the, the judge said that uh, it was not constitutionally allowed, the, the curfew, and it had to be thrown out. And also that um, the government hadn't proven that uh, Corona was an immediate emergency or so. The classic example in the Netherlands is if a dike breaks, the government gets the issue emergency powers to fix the dike. Mm -hmm. That's an immediate and problem that needs to be fixed right now. We can't wait for courts or whatever to sort it out. And very specific to and the Netherlands because of the uh, yes the we have we have a thing for dikes um <laughs> <laughs> but the judge said well basically uh, you've been able to debate this in parliament uh, this could have been gone to the senate if you wanted this to, to pass you should have tried to make a, a constitutional amendment or pass a law um this is not the way things are done these emergency powers in this way um there was an injunction on that, so it wasn't executed, and it's back to a higher court of appeals now, and it'll probably be in the court of appeals for, I don't know, the next year or so. Mm -hmm. That's how these things usually go. Yeah. Uh, let me do just a couple of these in case I lose them in the activity field since we're live here uh, today, guys, uh, if you're watching the archive, of course. But uh, I just want to uh, say thank you to uh, Slow Cool for the, the diamond. Does it main or mine? I think it is. Uh, with the diamond says, Cave Kangs shall prevail. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, Silosopher with a diamond. Brad C with one, two, two. And the Netlux with a Ninjagini. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, appreciate that. No message attached to uh, to that uh, Ninjagini there. All right. Um, so any what else regarding the election then? Is this how it's... Uh, okay, so we've seen... So I think some things revealed themselves uh, in the American election this cycle that... Uh, I and many others have talked about for years, black box voting, diebold, we've talked about these things. There's some new companies that have showed up, of course, on the on the, uh, uh, on the the scene that were sued and stuff like that. There's countersuits in the U.S. and, and things like that. If you cover or watched any of that at all, are you, is there any chance that because some of these machines that were used in the U.S. election are used in other uh, European countries and other countries all around the world? I think Canada no. is using them. I think Germany is using them. Most, is anything like this in, most in the Most European Netflix? countries don't use election voting machines, especially because they say it's it's uh, sensitive to fraud. So, yeah. for example, in the Dutch elections, we only use physical ballots and ballot counting. Very good. Uh, th that's excellent. Uh, very, very good. I, d I didn't know the situation there. Um, so there's no I chance. most of Europe. Yeah, they, there's some I heard of, and I forget the details about it now. I'll, I'll have to look it up to be more specific. But I, I thought that there were some countries 
uh, that we're using it. But anyway, so that means that people are largely, what would you, how would you analyze this situation? How would you di diagnose this problem that people then overall are just crawling more or less to the, to the same old parties and nothing changes despite the radical transformations that's being, take, uh, being taken now in Europe? They, they still go to the Mark Ruttes of this world to, uh, to get their political fix. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm not quite sure about yet. I mean, we saw the same sort of thing happen in 2017, right? Like you said in the beginning, we were very excited for Le Pen. We were excited for Wilders. We were excited that maybe, you know, UKIP could break through or that in the Sverige Democraten could win in Sweden. And um, it all was a disappointment when those elections came around. It all turned out to be much less big. And now they seem to be um, even receding. Uh, like I say, Wilders lost some ground, although populists on the whole gained about eight seats, depending on which parties you put in that box. But even then, the the really the, the definitely populist vote for for democracy in Wilders gained three seats. So there's some slight growth there. So the anti-system uh, voice did grow a little bit, but not nearly enough to actually change things. And uh, that seems to be the case throughout most of Europe, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the opposition is uh, uninspiring. I mean, Builders isn't a charismatic guy. Uh, for, for democracy, has a democ has a uh, an inspiring leader, but they have a very they don't have good ideas. They don't have really an ideology. They don't stick to their principles. Uh, they don't sell very well, and uh, I think in in the U.S. basically Trump was a bit of a fluke as well. Yeah, uh, he might have been cheated out of the last election. That's of course you know you never know, but on the whole, um, I think the establishment has done its best to avoid another 2016-2017 uh, media demonization of the populists. Here is of course uh, all the time. You see that in all European countries that uh, the media is used as a tool to maintain the status quo, to maintain the powers that be. And they seem to be still quite uh, good at it and quite effective at it. And the police brutality, increasing usage of police. I think the, the United Kingdom is uh, the go-to example here of yeah. I mean, just an increasing police state, essentially. Um, and this, the fact that the media is being used this way, that the police is increasingly authoritarian, uh, does show that they are at least worried about uh, resistance. Yeah, no, they are. And, and to that point that I mentioned earlier, then to kind of follow up on that, I think we've seen kind of a, yeah, the, uh, the empire strikes back kind of scenario, right? We've had a number of things happen um, in various European countries. I know that Erkin Brand, which was the previous group you were involved in, and if you want to speak to any of that, please mm -hmm. go ahead regarding, you know, either what happened or whatever. But as far as I understand the situation, uh, they, of course, have been vehemently targeted in the media. There are people been doxxed. Uh, the um, apparatus there in the Netherlands have been very worried about this. But we've seen comparable things where, you know, first out the gates in the UK was like, what, the banning of, I think, national action, things like that. Yeah. Uh, there were in, was it, let me see, was it, fin was it fi yeah, Finland banned the Nordic resistance movement. There's talks about it in both Norway and Denmark. There's been international pressure to ban the group in Sweden as well from, from America. Uh, from interest from Zionist interests in America, basically, and and then you have uh, Generation Identity, right, being banned in France. Um, what else? What I, what am I missing here? There's a couple of these that have happened, which seems like they're they're cracking down hard, Faust. Yeah, exactly. And there's the occasional talk here about we need to outlaw PVV and Forum for Democracy because they are like you know they they're um, not egalitarian and they don't support human rights and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, 
I think they only move towards banning when they think it's an actual threat, uh, whether that's electorally or in uh, metapolitical. That's when they try to ban something. With if you're being threatened with being banned, at least you know you're being effective. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to do that. Which shows that, considering they are not banning any of the right-wing populist parties, they are not a serious threat apparently. Um, which I find a little bit strange that they would ban things like National Action and Nordic Resistance because on the whole those guys kind of spread the image that the left wants us to spread of violent skinheads and so on. Um, which I don't know about don't National Action. I don't know too much about them. Nordic Resistance Movement has overall been definitely more well behaved than that, I would say. Um, okay. And I think, they're I think the one case in Finland that they based uh, partially, I think, the banning on was um, there was basically one leftist that was spitting on a guy and then he kicked him in the stomach, I think, and he fell backwards, he hit his head, and then I think he died like a couple of days later in the hospital. And that, oh, yeah, yeah. that was used it. like as a case. It was, again, he was defending himself, right? And uh, that was used as a case. All oh, these are violent extremists and stuff like that. And, uh, of course, not everyone might, you know, whatever, uh, approve or agree no, or, or think the, the tactics the are right. The Nordic Resistance Movement is famous for these marches, right? Right, right. Riot shields and so on. Sure. That's sure. not really the, the, the sort of stormtrooper image. I'm not sure if that's what you really want. Right. Um, it, 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 it's, it calls up certain images from the past, and that's not still not very popular with the majority of the people. No, it, um, it definitely, I don't think it is. Um, uh, at the same time, I think your different clientele may be attracted. Uh, it, it depends, I guess, the worst, the worst and worst things be. Uh, there is kind of like a natural radicalization of society. It's not natural, but it's a, a radicalization of society. The worse uh, it, and worse it gets, obviously. But overall, I think the Nordic resistance movement is is. Um, uh, I've talked to many of the guys there. They're overall they're very good, you know, very good people. Uh, I might not see to eye, eye to eye on every issue in terms of how to <laughs> approach the problem or whatever, but I'm glad that they're they're there and 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 doing this and showing that there is some kind of opposition to it. Um, and but we'll yeah. see. They they could be. I mean, again, because of the international pressure, though, uh, they could definitely be targeted and and banned. I'm actually surprised Sweden haven't hasn't done it yet. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but we'll have to see. Well, again, as I say, maybe they're just not. They'll only move towards banning if I, I think if there's they're, they're a real threat, if they start gaining seats in parliament or whatever, or yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like thousand men marches. But um, I think the proof's in the pudding regarding the, the sort of optics war, as the Americans like to call it. Uh, what destroyed the American alt-right was definitely Charlottesville and mm -hmm. uh, acting like goons and trying to be stormtroopers. So I think that strategy has probably not worked. Yeah. What do you think we should do? I mean, generation identity, though, if we look at France, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but I'm sure you have some comments on it regarding they were, again, they didn't really have that. They had, sure, they had some um, uh, stunts, whatever you want to call it, right, where they garnered a lot of attention going up in buildings and for banner drops and stuff. But as far as I know, they were never violent and stuff, but that was still, it was, it was interesting because in France, um, you had, uh, um, uh, I can't believe I'm spacing on the guy's name now, was it... Uh, What's his name? The head guy, uh, the banker <laughs> in France. <laughs> the, oh, Macron. Macron. Thank you. Thank you. Spacing yeah. on that for a second. Macron, of course. Um, he came out and he did this spiel about you know ex uh, separatist Islam and stuff, and we need to crack down on this. A lot of people, I guess, more conservatives at least, were like, "Oh, this is great," you know, kind of thing. And I remember early on, I said, "Just watch out because they're gonna they're gonna make sure that." You know, they, they cut a little bit on that end, but then they're going to do on, on the other. And essentially what seems to be happening is that the Macrons, <coughs> excuse me, and the banking class that he represents and the elite and stuff, 
they basically want to see a merger of the ethnic groups in the various European countries that have been imported, right? And so one way of kind of trying to ensure that to a certain extent is to make sure that 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 the, the people who are in, in the various European countries integrate, right? That they, we need to blend out, we need to mix with each other. And so partially you can't have this you know, kind of separate colony inside of France, which is Muslim driven and stuff. So the even these very mu pro, I would say pro-Muslim forces in France were coming down on that and said, no, no, you have to you have to start integrating into society. You can't have your own schools. You can't wear, you know, the burqa and stuff like that. Uh, which is my point then is like, well, why should they be in the country? But then you realize they no, they want you to merge. And so now they're banning French French separatism on the other end of the spectrum, right? Um, and so that's partially why I think that they were doing this. They're like they're they're as you said, two steps forward, one step back. They're they're giving it a little bit and then they're taking it a little bit. But how do you see the yeah. situation? Well, Francis uh, has very much had the legacy of Louis XIV still instilled within it. It is one of the most authoritarian states within Europe, within its culture, in its cultural sense. It's a very centralized, top-down, heavy state and has always been so. And um, the, the reason they're banning generation identity and the, the case brought against them is actually that they were usurping powers of the state by blocking uh, migrant entry. It's not that right. illegal that they're defending illegal immigrants necessarily from a Jewish, uh, from a juridical uh, standpoint. It was that they were not uh, workers of the state. They were not state entities. So they were illegally usurping functions of the border guards, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, France has always had this quite uh, authoritarian streak in them. Uh, which is why Macron is, I think, trying to uh, centralize all of these things. But it's also because he's desperately trying to gain any popularity he can. I think he's at something like 20% or so in, in the opinion polls. And Le Pen might win uh, if it's just against him. So he's been um, beating the anti-Islam drum quite hard. Um, a few months ago, there was a debate with the Minister of the Interior and Le Pen in France where the Minister of the Interior actually accused Le Pen of not taking the threat of Islamization seriously enough. Um, so I think it's a, a play for popularity because uh, he knows that the anti-Islam issue is popular. Um, but the banning of generation identity is probably simply because they are effective as a military political force. Yeah. People, pe most people don't speak French and most of this whole online nationalist scene is far too oriented towards the Americans and follows the American perspective and the American news and so on on things. But in the French, uh, like the Germans, are much more insular, turned in the inwards. So there's quite a big nationalist movement in France. There's quite a big nationalist movement in Germany. You probably just don't know about it if you're a monolingual English speaker because they don't publish anything in, in English. They do it all in French or German. Yeah. So generation identity is part of a way bigger network of especially intellectuals and metapolitical organizations and think tanks in France. And they're attractive to, to, to youths. They do intelligent activism instead of marching around with flags and uh, pretending to be stormtroopers from the 1930s. They do photogenetic ops, uh, which doesn't require much people, low risk. Um, and it looks cool. It attracts young people. Yeah. Um, so generation identity being banned, they, they had an excuse to do it. They'll probably try and do it with other uh, groups and organizations as well. One thing notable, though, is France has quite a lot of right-wing public intellectuals, Renaud Camus, Welbeck, Zemmour, a number of others. And they actually get on TV quite a lot and they talk about right. um, their viewpoints. And um, that's quite unique. Uh, I don't think any in, in any other country um, right-wing intellectuals get that much airplay. Yeah, it's a good point. I think... Um... 
and I might be um, I might I might be wrong about my perception. Maybe not right wing uh, personalities, but Denmark surprisingly actually has a pretty good dialogue when it comes to some of these issues. They've been famous for looking towards Sweden and just like they're they're insane. They're you know they're shutting down. There's no discussion about these things and whatever. They're sadly though slowly moving in the same direction as Sweden, <laughs> but at least they're having a conversation about it as it's unfolding in Denmark. But uh, what about Germany? I want to I'll go back and ask about Erik Brown a little bit and and, and kind of that situation in um, in the Netherlands there. But talk to us about Germany a little bit. You you know some uh, quite a bit about this, and you talked in one uh, another show that you did about the how many just how many smaller groups there are in a country like Germany. There, there isn't like this one monolithic kind of thing. I mean, they have some of the political parties, of course, AFD and others, but uh, as, as, a, as a force in terms of moving in, in a nationalist direction, much more uh, s uh, scattered and com compartmentalized, right? And different ideologies. So, for example, we've got the Reichsburger Bewegung, which are, um, I suppose, imperial German. Uh, you know, they want the Kaiser back, basically. They're monarchists. Those have about 100,000 members. And then there's an absolutely huge uh, neo-Nazi scene still in Germany. Um, a lot of skinhead culture, of course. But uh, when I mean huge, I mean they can't get an annual event together in East Germany called uh, Schwertenschild, which uh, gets about 6,000 attendees. And you get whole villages, which are just right-wing villages. Um, some have just basically not changed since the 1940s, essentially, in their views on, on what they do. Um, and this is uh, usually these skinhead groups and so on are between 50 to 200 members or so. Uh, and there's a lot of those. And you get a few um, reactionary intellectuals, like you got Gold Kubicek and Antaios Publishing. But the German scene is much more uh, Volks, uh, we would say. It's much more like lower class people, normal people who are just friend groups, activist groups, things like that, who um, hold very right wing views, but they don't have intellectual representatives or a manifesto or anything like that. Right. Um, they might have a logo and then they go drink beer together and <laughs> complain about, you know, Jews and uh, immigrants. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's there's quite a lot of nationalist sentiment in Germany uh, in that sense. Uh, but like even the NPD, as cringe as the NPD is, still gets something like three or four percent of the vote every election in Germany. And the NPD are openly neo-Nazi organization. Um, AfD is more populist, although they have a quite reactionary right-wing uh, flank on their side as well. Um, so I think it's kind of underestimated um, how big right-wing sentiment still is within Germany. I mean, the Christian Democratic Party of Merkel is uh, a lot more right-wing on a lot of things than you might think. It's just Merkel herself isn't, and she maintains that party pulling to the left. Yeah, that, exactly. That's true. And, and of course, this pin, here's just one of the stories here, but a lot of uh, attacks on, especially on AFD. It seems that the AFD has been more um, targeted than the, uh, was it the a NPD? Was that the, NPD. the name of it? NPD, yeah. Um, as the politicians have been like, there was one case recently, and this might be the one, I'm, I'm actually not sure, I'm not too well read up on every single case, but where I guess some Antifa members were like posing as cops or whatever, and they, they, brought, they you know, I guess the, the guy opened the door and they like kept him for hours, they, they cracked his skull with a hammer and, and shit like that, like there's a crazy... Uh, violent scene in Germany uh, politically between oh, yeah. these different factions that you you don't really hear too much about in the in the press uh, actually. 
Oh, it's um, I, uh, one thing, for example, is football hooligan culture in Germany is very political, where uh, supporters of different clubs will be right or left wing and uh, fight each other. And it, that gets to be a quite political issue. For example, within Bremen and Hamburg, you get violent clashes quite often between these mm-hmm. uh, supporter groups and a big f- and then one club will be quite far right and then the other side will be really Antifa type. So there's quite a lot of fighting like that. Um, in the Netherlands, that hasn't happened for a while. It used to be the same here in the 80s and 90s. In 1980, we had a street battle between 11,000 police and 100,000 communists, Marxists and others, um, which lasted for about a day. So it got quite violent back then. Uh, but that's kind of stopped since Pim Fortuyn was murdered over here. So in 2002, a quite successful politician who might have become the leader of the biggest party and therefore uh, he would be invited to become the premier, uh, essentially the prime minister, uh, he was shot and killed by a green left activist um, to prevent that happening. Um, and like, there hasn't been that much violence since then. Until quite recently, with the slight growth of populism here, we saw Thierry Baudet has been attacked a number of times, his door uh, graffitied over. And um, we had the first left-wing terror attack in quite a while just this week, where this church was blown up. Where was that? Uh, it was in uh, Krimpen. It's where, a small town. Where, where is that uh, on the map, so to speak? Uh, north, southwest, <laughs> um, north? Let me see if I can get you. Let me see if I can find a story about that in the meantime. I'm showing some footage here to one of the... I, I remember seeing a while back, so, yeah, some of the German uh, football, like, hooligan supporter clubs or whatever, and I was like, holy shit, like, if these people are politically engaged, you know what I mean, and, like, actually decided to, like, you know, get involved in some way, they'll be... Again, it's just this... I mean, there's nothing wrong with sports or whatever. We we know it's a simulacrum. It's a, it's a, a replacement for something else or whatever, but... Holy shit! I tell you, some of these supporter clubs gotta gotta get <laughs> their head in the game and realize oh, what's yeah. happening to their countries. You know, over here, whenever there's protests, I guess, like for example, when the statue stuff was happening in the United States, that was happening over here as well. Uh, Left wing groups and black groups wanted to take down statues of our colonial and and sailor heroes, and uh, football hooligan clubs came out in numbers to defend them. Actually, there was some rioting over that as well here last year. Yeah. Uh, so this was just the other day you said the church uh, was burned? Uh, yes, just this week. Just this uh, week. Was, See, I can't, fi- I can't even find a, it. Ne- Netherlands, churched, burned down or burnt. And it's like nothing. Of course, you know, again, it's like the it's probably local stories right there. And then it doesn't uh, really it was, reach. Well, it, it was a bomb, actually. A bomb. Okay. All right. Let me, let me yeah. see here. We find Netherlands bomb explosion. Here we go outside a Dutch coronavirus testing site. Okay. Um Explosion near COVID-19. That's the, that they're reporting on, though, of course, because uh, it's some crazy lockdown person behind it. It's probably a, a government yeah, gay op. story for you. Uh, I'll send it to you on Telegram. Uh, yeah, send it on Telegram, and I'll pull that in right there. Okay, okay thank you. Uh, okay, interesting. So what uh, what do they know? Uh, what more do they know about that now? They know it was politically motivated? Is, is that what's going on? Yeah, out? so this, this church had openly stated that they were, because churches were asked because freedom of religion is a big thing due to the history of Protestantism and Catholicism fighting each other in the Netherlands. We have very strong freedom of religion laws, so the government can't actually say mosques and churches can't hold services. They generally can't do that without a constitutional amendment. So they were churches were asked not to have services or to reduce the amount of attendees. Mm-hmm. But our, our uh, sort of hardline Protestant reform community said, no, 
we're you know god's more important than the coronavirus so we're going to church and this particular church said that they were going to ignore any and all mask mandates lockdown rules or anything so the media has been harassing them and uh, a journalist got beat up by one of the church attendees well beat up he got kicked in the stomach basically because he was harassing people trying to enter church on a sunday uh, and this guy got pissed off and he tried to get the journalist to go away and kicked him away yeah. and then um the next day there or the I think there was two days between it. A bomb was put at that church, uh, probably by a left-wing activist, uh, because the church wasn't following the coronavirus uh, rules. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Yeah, it does kind of tie into each other there. Um, what else? So, uh, do you want to talk anything about Erkin Brand? Are they still uh, up and running? Uh, uh, well, unfortunately. I don't want to say too much about it, but okay. if you're Dutch, they're not a worthwhile organization uh, to go to anymore. I'm okay. afraid that they've really uh, fallen into the whole radical neo-Nazi spiel, uh, and all they talk about anymore is Jews, um, and quite a lot of the more intellectual and valuable guys have left at this point, so unfortunately I wouldn't recommend them. Um, Dutch scenes kind of sort of floundering, like a lot of nationalist movements at the moment. Um, I think when the lockdowns are over, a lot of activity will re-emerge, but for now it's been quite stagnant. The only group that's actually quite proactive and growing right now is Vorpost, but they are more active in Flanders than in the Netherlands. I think I've heard about them, yeah. What, what, would, you, what would you like to, to see? What's your recommendation to also young guys you know, listening and we're, we're talking about, you know, there's, there's the different well, type of thing in, in America, whatever. Let's talk about like many European countries. What would you like to see? What do you, th what do you think would work? To reach people. I think the example to take is the Flemish movement. So Flanders is the Dutch-speaking half of Belgium. Belgium does not exist. It's the Southern Netherlands. They're a bunch of filthy separatists, and we're going to annex them someday. But the Flemish movement are sort of the Dutch nationalist movement within Belgium, uh, and uh, they're split over whether they want to rejoin with the Netherlands or be an independent republic. But on the whole, they are very, very well organized. They've got. Uh, student unions, the KVHV and the NSV, which is the Nationalist Student Union and the Catholic Conservative Student Union. Uh, they have their own trade unions, they have their own activist groups like Vorpost, uh, and they have political representation within Vlaams Belang. And to an extent, every Flemish parliamentary party has a Flamingant faction. So the CDV, the Liberals, the NVA has uh, Parliamentary members who are either separatists or Greater Netherlands thinkers, uh, so they're they're well represented across the political spectrum, and they organize a lot of uh, things within the community. A lot of people talk about this idea of parallelism. That is kind of what Flanders has been doing. Yeah, building things away from the Belgian and Flemish, from the Belgian state, building Flemish institutions. So they've got their own, like I said, they've got their own trade unions. They've got their own. Uh, lobby groups for small business, they've got their own insurance companies even, uh, health insurance mainly, uh, but also car insurance. They've got like garages which will offer you like a, a discount if you're a member of a nationalist group, things like that. Yeah. So this parallelism is really how things should be built. They've got some public intellectuals as well, like Robert Stoikers. Um, and that's really the way to go with things. I think one of the worst things has been this huge focus on America which the only thing happening in the American nationalist scene is entertainment streaming. It's people just doing live streams and not building anything, talking about the news, not 
they're just entertainers. No, you need entertainers. You need some news channels. You need stuff like that. But you can't only have that. You need you need actual organizations on the ground. Um, so I think that really a lot of nationalist groups should look at what the Flemish movement is doing and take lessons from them, uh, because they've been quite successful. And at this point, they're at almost 50% of the electoral vote. Uh, if you put the more right-wing parties, if you put the really right-wing party, the Flemish belong there about th- almost at 30% of the vote now. And they can affect real change. And they don't only affect change politically, but they simply affect change by building things in their own communities. Um, yeah. They don't need the government to come in. They'll they'll just do it themselves. Okay, can have they? Now I, I've argued for this for for we on the show have argued this for some time too. Is you have to begin locally. You have to prevent these things locally. You have to be on the you know, the school board, the city council. You have to, you know all these. Basically, yes, they're going to be boring, stupid things where you're going to be half asleep. <laughs> <laughs> these meetings, but that's how they—that's how they've taken over, right? Uh, do you know if Vlam's Belang has managed to? Uh, let's take the immigration question then. Have they, due to their uh, strong local presence, been able to um, set, have a say in this, or are they being run over by the uh, Belgian yeah. national uh, system? Both, actually, sort of. So wherever there is a right-wing majority within uh, a, a, a town, they can vote against having refugees re- resettled or having refugee centers built. This also happens in the Netherlands. Um, but sometimes that gets superseded on you know the grounds of the national interest, and uh, then the state just comes in and does it anyway. Yeah. But it, it's a, it at least prevents it sometimes, and it's a barrier to an extent. There was a famous story in Aalst last, I think, 2019, where they had a carnival parade where they had uh, they were satirizing Jews and Muslims. Um, I remember that. And it was when the funny. when the yeah, it was quite funny. Yeah. But when <laughs> and when the the Belgian state and the UN and the EU all said, "Oh, this is uh, awful and uh, blah blah blah, it's terrible," they delisted themselves from the UN uh, heritage list. And uh, the mayor basically <laughs> said, well, we're still going to do it anyway. You know, go away. This is our tradition. We'll do whatever we want. Yeah, that's right. And that's because it's a majority right-wing town. And they can, they'll just ignore it. People talking shit about them. There was some funny, I'd see if I can find some footage of uh, the actual marches and stuff like that. Yeah, here, here are some like that. We could play some of that in the meantime. Yeah, there was a mm-hmm. lot of uh, lot of complaining on this, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's like, it's, screw you. It's like, it's, they, you know, they should be able to do whatever they want to do. If they want to make fun of things, it, it's uh, totally up to them. So that's cool. I saw that to remember the mayor was like, you know, no, this is <laughs> it's not a problem. It's, it's, it's what we want to do. Uh, this is tradition. And it's also kind of this, uh, really, a si- the signs of the times of how, I mean, let's be honest about this. Uh, we have forces all over that are making fun of white people and white culture and Europeans all the time, right? And this is never any problem or whatever. As soon as we do it about another group, then it's uh, the whole the whole, uh, <laughs> the whole universe is just uh, co- collapsing because of it, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, this... This is a very centrist talking point. It's a sort of libertarian take that you can't make fun of anyone anymore. But it is still true. Like, humor's become very restrictive. Yeah. I mean, you can't make any jokes about blacks, about women, about gays, about Jews. I mean, who are you supposed to make fun of then? Uh, Only whites. (laughs) Only Europeans. Yeah, but that's fine. You can't make fun of whites because we've built everything. (laughs) There's not much you can mock us for. 
Yeah, no, I, I get your I get your point, but uh, you know it's 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 sanctioned, right? But uh, yeah, so anyway, let's go back to the point about the uh, the you know working locally and things like this. I think this is a very good very good method and starting organ not only just organizations for the sake of organization, but but as you say, uh, a, a businesses which then would imply essentially listings of those businesses that there's a network of people that communicate if you need your well, uh, car fixed it's, if, it's, you, if you need whatever you need to do go to those people that are your people that are on your side and support them right yeah it's a no, it's on, on if you know you know sort of thing it's not like you can go to a website of like this is the flemish approved businesses or anything right. but, but yeah you'll know if they have a flemish flag up or a prince of Lach up you'll know that this is a nationalist business um and the thing is in flanders you can actually fly those symbols um quite easily you it, it's it's fairly uncontroversial to fry the prince of Lach or or the 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 Flemish flag in the Netherlands that's already a bit more difficult but even here you can wave nationalist symbols more easily I think than somewhere like Germany or the United States yeah because you do have that issue that as soon as that begins to be uh, a, an issue there's uh, infiltration right there's ta there's takeover exposing doxing it's uh, saying this is a bad person and stuff it's and it's not that it shouldn't be done or whatever and 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 eventually I think that will reach uh, what's the right word here a boiling point a, a a sense that for one people won't care anymore but the other is when it's enough people that are um that are on your on our side uh they will go to those businesses and continue that the the, the other problem of course right now that we face um is not only deplatforming but people's livelihoods is being destroyed and things like that um yeah. I, I remember uh, Holland, ha or I heard some somewhere that Netherlands, and I think you talked about this too. They have overall very good, you know, business, you know, climate and things like that too. Uh, have you seen the same kind of things that we see in America with people getting their bank accounts shut down and things? Is that a, is that no. an issue in the Netherlands? No, because that's illegal. Uh, there's uh, the banks have a duty to uh, give people like it's illegal to just shut down someone's bank account if they don't have an alternative because. The banks ha are by law mandated to give people a bank account. Yeah. It's different for businesses. They can shut down business accounts down, but we haven't had that happen here yet. Uh, I think on the whole, those sorts of things, usually we lag behind on them because most Dutch people are still have a lot of common sense and they would be kind of shocked. I mean, our press is, of course, our media is um, very biased and very progressive and very left thing. But if I, if whenever I look at like British tabloids or British TV or American TV, you wouldn't get away with something like CNN in the Netherlands. People would think this is just so overtly propagandistic. I'm not watching this. Yeah. So they have to be a bit more subtle about those sorts of things. So shutting down someone's bank account over here. That would probably make the news and the bank would be in trouble over that. And also because we've got parliamentary political parties like it. So, so with some builders in Baudet would ask questions about that in Parliament and there would be an inquiry commission yeah. and the government would have to formulate an answer. So the fact that we've got political representation also helps us to an extent. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really, really good. Uh, a couple of more here. Just Brad C. Give a diamond over on DLive. Thank you for that. Rose City 74 with the Ninja Guinea. Thank you for that. Simply says, uh, greetings from the Pacific Northwest. Greetings. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Good to have you here. And also thank you to uh, uh, Silosopher giving Koffing a uh, one month uh, uh, sub there. And thank you to everyone subbing over on uh, on DLive. I appreciate that. All right. So what should we what, what should what should we close off here? Uh, um, well, 
with Faust. Well, I think what I would say is it's a question of momentum as well, as well for a lot of things. If you get enough people within your local community who agree with you, like if you if you look at Flanders, the fact that just about 50 to 60 percent of the people agree with the Flemish nationalist agenda means that you can get away with so much because you're not some fringe weirdo talking about weird things. You're just another member of the community. So if you live in a village and you've got like 30 or 40 other people who agree with you and you're publicly visible in that sense, you can get a lot of stuff done. And I think you see this happening in the United States where the, the so-called red states are moving more and more away from uh, the Washington agenda, especially Florida and uh, so on. But you already you see this happening somewhat on the state level, I think, in the United States, where simply because the state is basically entirely Republican, um, they just do whatever they want. Right. Yep. Exactly. Well, it's crazy. What, what do you what do you think uh, uh, politically here? Uh, give us your crystal ball uh, kind of analysis here a little bit at the end. Um, Will it just continue um, more of the same, more of the same until the, the window closes in terms of the politics? I mean, I think we're, we're, we're almost there now in terms of uh, uh, an opportunity to change something politically. And if not at that point, I guess then the, the, the Flanders model would be, you know, another another one to follow to do something. But again, that would kind of almost mean uh, that at the short term, that would be very hard then to like regain control of our countries. But it would turn into more of a... a uh, you know, I don't know if separatist communities, it doesn't sound right, but you, but you know what I mean, that basically this, you have a group of people, they just don't want to take part in this. They want to have somewhere to live. They want to, uh, there's nowhere. So where do we go? You know, kind of thing, right? So you're still in, in the country that you were, uh, that you're in of the, of the ethnicity, national, nationality that you're part of, uh, but you're setting up something and living in a way that you want to do, which kind of then turns it into a little bit of a, a smaller area, but at least hopefully you can live in somewhat according to the, the ways that you, you'd prefer. Yeah, exactly that. I think on the whole, we're all just waiting for the American empire to collapse, really. I mean, we're all staring at the Americans and whatever the Americans do dictate what we do in Europe to a huge extent. Um, the problem is, if America falls, who knows who, who becomes a global hegemon then? Do we get China? Will the EU actually start building itself as a world power? My hope is that the European nations will be able to work together as a power block and become again, the global hegemon replacing the United States and their degenerate culture. But on the whole, I think in terms of big things, uh, it, we can't do anything. It's all up to America and what happens in America. And we can't influence that from outside the United States. So it's up to Americans to change things. What I see from American dissidents is all kinds of incompetence and idiocy. And I don't think they're going to manage to change anything really. Um, so unfortunately, I think we just have to kind of wait for American power to decline to such an extent that uh, especially their media and cultural influence declines and uh, that European countries start realizing that they have to be more self-assertive or be taken over by Russia or China. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a pessimistic take, I'm afraid, at the end there. <laughs> Shots fired, uh, gentlemen. Uh, some criticism here for, for Americans. Well, uh, no, look, no, look at the fine. biggest American network, like Killstream, right? Is that the, the biggest the, one? That's, that's a completely degenerate guy <laughs> leading that. I like Ethan. Uh, it's 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 it, we need some of that. I, I as you said before, you know that there's a there's a, a value and a, a steam valve thing to that, but uh, the, the, it's a different niche, obviously, than what you're trying to to do, obviously, right? What what I what Killstream is for me the epitome of the problem with the whole American scene is it's all just entertainment. It's incredibly lowbrow. It's not building anything. It's very destructive. It incites fighting all the time. 
Um, and it has, and it puts people who absolutely do not deserve it on a pedestal. I mean, the guy leading it is an alcoholic. Um, Ethan, and, and Ethan is a good guy. Well, I won't come down on Ethan, but have have your say. Yeah, but well, <laughs> I like and, Ethan. Well, the thing is, this is generally true of most of the American movement that it doesn't really go much beyond just streaming and infighting on the internet and not building anything. And I don't see anything positive coming out of the United States, really. Jared Taylor is probably one of the best guys around. He does some productive stuff. Oh, Countercurrents, uh, decent. Um, and that's about it. Everything else is just talking about the news and streaming and entertainment and not building anything. And uh, it can be quite degenerate as well. So I think, I think it's I'm not impressed by the Americans. I think it's, uh, no, I understand that. Uh, and I, I think it's. <sighs> It's late in the game, but it's also early. Do you, do, do you know what I'm saying? That a, a lot of this is kind of like the nationalism in America has been very, uh, what should we say, it's symbolic, but also potent and in a way kind of in your face, which made this perception that it's like, oh, this is how it is now. But then all of a sudden, within the realm of a couple of decades, it was just like, you know, every conservative value, every nationalist patriotic value, more or less gone out the window. And then they have a little bit of a relapse with Trump, which was, as you said in the beginning, kind of an anomaly. I think we'll see things. And I think it's just also the sheer scale and size of the country makes it more difficult. Again, I think if people need to start working locally, I think you'll see things like yeah. the, you know, the there's a Pacific Northwest movement, there's a greater Idaho movement and things like that. There's other types of yes. things in, you know, whether it's West Virginia or Southern parts and stuff. And that I think I generally think is good. Need you know, to stop thinking about America, but think about their state. I mean, that's what the whole damn thing was founded on the idea of states and states, right? Right, right. You can't work on that bigger scale. I mean, one of the reasons European nationalist movements are far more successful and better organized is uh, we're just smaller. Like the Netherlands, the, the Dutch-speaking uh, world sphere has maybe 30 million people in it, if you include South Africa and Belgium. And that's that's manageable, right? Yeah. The same goes for Germany. There's 80 million, and then you've got Austria, but say 100 million Germans or so. Um, that's manageable. That's a, And it's geographically manageable. It's you're, You can reach people. Uh, it also helps that we have our own languages and our own separate culture. Yeah. But I think yeah. Americans should think way more about on a state level. Stop thinking about what's happening in California or New York, but worry about what's happening in your own state capital. I, I agree, and I think that that's something we're going to start to see, especially when it gets more polarized. Po polarized. And, and right now, actually, you know, while we're talking, uh, this natural kind of division or split is kind of happening where, where like conservative people are like leaving California in droves, you know, and they're going to state that are more conservative and you'll see you'll start to see this kind of split. So I, I still think overall I'm, I'm positive in the sense I think there's a lot of good people in America and they will start realizing that, hey, we can't like trust that we're going to change this yet on a federal level. We have to think locally. We have to, uh, you know, hold, draw a line in the sand and basically say this is our place. We, uh, you know, we, it's we who control that. This is the people say, and we want to live the way we want to live. So I, I still think there's going to be a lot of good things uh, kind of out of that environment. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Now, the reason with the folk, the American focus too, partially also by Europe, I think, is I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that it's obviously it's it's a it's a declining em, em, empire. It's 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 rotted from within. This I think it's an intentional plan. I think is to to overwhelm the system to cause it to collapse. There's a new global order that's arising out of this. They've the, the internationals used America for a long time. It was the military force or whatever. Now it's a Belt and Road Initiative. It's countries like uh, China, India, uh, even Russia to a certain extent. Israel, a very small country, is going to be part of that Belt and Road Initiative. Be a very important geographical 
uh, and I think eventually maybe even a spiritual hub in, in, in this new kind of system that they're building. But they're turning their back on America, basically, and it's crumbling from the inside. Uh, they're ruining it financially, intentionally, and, and everything. And um, But think back to, on the situation in the, in the Balkans, right, back in the uh, early 90s, right, where you had a European country with internal conflicts, uh, Serbia, Bosnia, that whole thing, uh, Kosovo, uh, where America came in and s sided with the mu Mujahideen side, basically, right? And that's why people still look to America, because, like, you could have a European country break off and do something, but America would still, I think, be on the uh, uh, invade, <laughs> especially if it's a European country, they're, invade they're, that they're European country. They're literally occupying troops in Germany. Yeah, exactly, in they're still doing it. Yep, the UK. They, yep, they are. They are. Um, there was even some news about that. RT had the piece that it's like Germany is li still living under some kind of legal clause that they're they're legally considered to be an occupied country and they don't have sovereignty. Oh well, the Constitution of Germany was written by uh, the, the the United States. Uh, that's one of the arguments a lot of Reichsbürger make. Right. Is that ever since Weimar, uh, Germany hasn't been able to assert itself and therefore it has that sovereignty. So every regime since the Kaiser fell is illegitimate. Yeah, that's one of their legal arguments. So, so one thing though, yeah, is go ahead, go ahead. America doesn't have roots, right? That's one of the reasons they can that global capitalism can they, so easily take they off. They do, the but they've been it's been replaced, right? That there's this well, shadow version of America, the melting pot America that's been replaced, which is a farce. It wasn't the yeah, case, but you know what I mean. Not, not yeah, but there are some culture. That I'd say there are some roots that they could go back to, for example, the, 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 the Anglo-Saxon tradition in more in the north, in, in you know, um, Vermont and so on, you know, Melville and um, things, writers like that, Jack London. And you've got the south, of course, you've got uh, southern secessionist ideas. And uh, I, I, I the, the only American nationalists I generally like are more of the sort of southerners, because they've got much more of a grasp of their own history, who they are as a people, they've got a conception of themselves, which reminds me more of how European nationalists are, where European nationalists are more very rooted in their history, very rooted in their culture, very opposed to, for example, uh, English being introduced as a language, American cultural influences and so on. And I think that the, the sort of Southerners, Confederate sort of thing, they get that because that's also happened to them with Yankees taking over their culture. I can get along with those guys a lot better than I usually can get with the white nationalist sort of types who don't who don't seem to have any roots and who just seem to appeal to Nazi Germany for most of their ideas, which isn't their country and not their tradition, and they don't understand it anyway. They can't even speak German. Some, some are trying very hard. No, but uh, I, I get your point. Um, all right. Um, dished out. I, I, I get your criticism, and, uh, and uh, thank you for having your say about that. Um, but yeah, there's, again, I think I think it's too. I guess the overall is it's too early to tell. I think that this struggle have, has kind of started now, in terms of which direction things will go, and especially even after January six, this this idea that how a large segment. I mean, there's a website in America now, like what do we do about the 74 million people that voted for Trump? Like they want to put these people in in some kind of re-education camps or something. Uh, it, it's a it's a breakdown and, a, and an ongoing battle. It's never really gone away, but it's intensified in a level that we haven't really seen internally in America. And this happening at a time that where other countries are rising up. Ultimately, I think it would be a good thing, you know, for the collapse of of the American empire. But at the same time, we should also be wary of who's going to replace it because I think if China puts itself in that position. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there, as bad as the neocon kind of faction has been in America and stuff like that, and it's been certainly detrimental to, to many European countries, most European countries, uh, 
be careful what you wish for because China. I know it's not going to be any better. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but that's what I think. My, my my hope, dream, whatever you want to call it, would be that uh, Europe can form itself as a sort of not the EU such as it is today, but I think right. I mean Europe yeah. has more people than the United States. We've got uh, a bigger economy than the United States, technically speaking. If you put us all together, mm -hmm. if we were to cooperate, we could easily be a global power player. We've got the manpower, we've got the IQ, we've got the technology, the the economy. It's just that the current system makes it that we are basically slavishly following the United States, and we I don't think we need to, uh, and it's destroying our culture as well. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. I appreciate your perspective, Faust. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure uh, talking with you, connecting with you, listening to what's going on only in the Netherlands, but some other uh, areas in, in Europe as well. Uh, what, what's next? Do you have anything up uh, ongoing? <laughs> something? Uh, oh. Do you go to events still? Yeah. Uh, is there something you like to plug? I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So I have my own YouTube channel uh, where I mostly, my English-speaking YouTube channel, I mostly talk about whatever ideas I happen to have or do some streams about you know, nationalist stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have a Dutch language project, which for any Dutch people, Dutch speakers listening is, is probably interesting, called Dietse Bazang, which is sort of, uh, my idea was to imitate PragerU, but with reactionary <laughs> ideas. Right, right. Uh, I think that model works quite well. You can see how popular uh, PragerU is after all. And we also publish a magazine about arts, culture, and history, um, which I write with a few other guys. We might start doing events. Uh, it's on the table, Bill. There's, we might expand this project. For now, it's just a media project to inform people about basically Dutch history, Dutch nationalism, good. reactionary ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's good. Check out these channels, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Here's one, uh, Dietz, Dietz Bausing. How did you pronounce it? Dietz Bausing. Bausing. Okay, that's for the. Uh, uh, Dutch speaking audience, and then you have uh, just simply Faust the channel. You had it here. What was it again? Let me uh, let me pull it up. Uh, the URL. Lanzer one. It's just my name. Um, yeah, Faust 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 Lanzer one. Right, that's what it was. Uh, yeah. Right down there, folks. Uh, you got it in the lower third, right there. So check that out. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Faust. Uh, always good to talk to you. Uh, keep me in the loop. Let me know what's going on, and uh, we'll have you back again uh, in the future. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. We'll see you later. Take care, man. Bye. Bye. All right, there we go. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you for uh, staying with us today. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed uh, the perspective. Uh, shout out to uh, to Ethan Ralph as well. I like Ethan. I, I don't have a problem with Ethan. He's been always very nice to me. Uh, and I think it's, uh, his show and many others fulfill kind of a, a specific purpose. So I, I don't want to uh, chime in and go, go along in what Faust said today. But whatever, that's his, his opinions. He's, he's entitled to them. Um, but uh, but otherwise, I think there's some good points uh, uh, made by, my, by Faust. Uh, it is a very, you know, kind of American-centric uh, online environment. And again, I think it's for, for a reason. Many people are ta talented there in, in terms of what they're doing as well. Um, but also a lot of people, a lot of eyes are on America, you know, for that purpose. That it's just been such a strong dominating force uh, in the world, especially with the media and stuff. Like where that media is going, it's mimicked and stuff in in. Uh, in the, at the, in the rest of the not only Western world, but uh, in, in some cases in the rest of the world. Um, so it's for, for good reason. But then at the same time, both as we explained in the show, both sadly, but also kind of in, um, uh, you know, to some advantage, that's uh, a, a in decline now. Right. Uh, it's a, it's an empire in decline. Uh, so everyone is uh, curious to see what, where where is this going? What's going to happen? 
Uh, and uh, I know that there's a lot of good people uh, in, in the US, a lot of good people, a lot of uh, uh, well-meaning, uh, intended, kind, uh, white people that are being screwed over um, as the machine is clamping down in, in, in the way that it is, right? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more regions that go their own way, so to speak, in America. And it's just such a big country. It's so hard to keep that together. There's this classic life cycle of a nation. And there's a, whether it's an economic collapse or an actual cultural uh, collapse, it just seems to go through this uh, every so often. I forget what the number was. So I heard some scholar put a number on it, like I don't know, 250 years or 300 or something like that. Um, but anyway, uh, we could go on and talk about this for, uh, for, for quite a while. But uh, we'll wrap up right there, folks. Uh, I appreciate your support. Thank you so much for watching today. Thank you to those who donated over on DLive. I think we'll save the uh, the box there until tomorrow. Uh, let me see who else uh, wrote here. Philbert Applebag uh, over on DLive sent a diamond to say, uh, hey, 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 thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, and also Rose City 74 with another uh, Nijigini. Thank you so much for that. We'll hang on to the um, uh, chest uh, over there on DLive until tomorrow. We'll open that for Flashback Friday. So we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we have a lot of uh, work to do to try to figure out. Uh, we're still doing... Uh, investigation forensic tech investigation on redeyesmembers.com uh, why it's down we don't believe that it's some kind of nefarious um, uh, malicious attack or anything like that uh, first we thought it might be cert certificate related or something like that but right now Red Ice TV is up and running so please go there I'm gonna update uh, yesterday's show there and this show of course when we upload that later too uh, but just a special shout out and thank you to all the members out there for your patience while we fix this we're gonna get it fixed so we'll back up uh, and running shortly uh, and um, if we, for whatever reason, uh, don't uh, have it fixed until Sunday's show, we'll just put that on uh, BitChute and Odyssey. So we'll put up a Weekend Warrior show, and that way non-members can get a sample as well. That way we continue the shows, and uh, everyone can uh, get access to them and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, thank you again, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate it. Let's see what we should do at the outro here, then. we gotta, we got to play a little bumper here, and uh, maybe some, uh, maybe a tune or two. We'll figure that out, I guess. But yeah, so tomorrow... Uh, we'll be back with uh, Flashback Friday, of course, as usual. That's 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, midnight Central European time. We'll talk about some of the latest uh, and uh, and some of the, the insanity that uh, goes on. But we appreciate the support. Uh, see you guys tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us.